I'm from this little town called Cub Run. Has anybody ever been to Cub Run? Show of hands. Man, you people know Cub Run. This is the first service. I'm shocked. This is, there are more people that raise their hand right now than actually live in Cub Run. It's true. <laughs> um, um, so I, I grew up in Cub Run. I grew up on Dog Creek Road. Anybody know where Dog Creek is? Yeah, a lot of boaters. Okay, a couple. So I grew up on Dog Creek Road in Cub Run, Kentucky, which is basically the most country thing you can do, apparently, right? So like dog, like all this stuff is animals. Like we didn't have people we liked, I guess. It was just, just animal names for stuff. Um, but I grew up in Dog Creek Road, on Dog Creek Road in Cub Run, Kentucky. I went to Cub Run Elementary School. Now who, who here is in the, in the county school system, specifically central? Where are my central people at? Now, now you, it is true that you probably have four classrooms in your building that would, have, that would have encompassed the entire body of people that went to my elementary school, right? My elementary school was Cubburn Elementary School. Um, it was a kindergarten through eighth grade school that had just under 200 kids in it, total. Um, so... My kindergarten class was me and about 23, 24, 25 other people, right? And it's, it's a little bit more girls than boys. Um, and so there's probably like 8, 10, 12 boys and, and just a few more girls. Um, and we were in the same classroom in kindergarten all day, uh, all of us together, all seven hours, same teacher. And, and we were the only kindergarten class. And then we went to first grade, right? We all went together. Um, and so first grade. So these people were like family by the time we're like in the eighth grade, right? And it, it just it never stopped. By the sixth, seventh, eighth grade, we had two teachers because I guess they got tired of looking at us. But we stayed in the same room, right? So recently we had a, uh, a Cub Run reunion. And you may think, why would you have an elementary school reunion? Well, that's the answer because these people were literally like my family. Eight of us showed up. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it was like, you know, 40% of the class. So... Um, and when you, when, when you get to be there and you start seeing these people, you start to have some things that come back to you. Um, and, and, and I realized, as a young kid, I was never the best at anything, right? Which is hard when there's only like 12 boys. How can you not be the best at at least one thing when there's only 12 dudes, right? Um, but, but I remember distinctly who was the best. At everything, Matthew was the smartest. I'm not protecting anybody's identity with names, you know, not protecting their names. Uh, but Matthew was the smartest. Jeremy was the best basketball player. Brad could throw rocks the farthest. It's true, he really could. Um, my cousin was the best football player, um, and and I was just kind of uh, in the middle. I wasn't real good at anything. I was pretty average. Uh, kindergarten-ish, first, second grade, I got a Nintendo, I really like video games, I was really good at Nintendo, uh, but Chris Sheldon was just a little bit better, right? Um, and, and, and these kind of situations all come to a head um, at field day, <laughs> right? And, and in Cub Run, we ain't passing out participation ribbons, right? <laughs> it's the hard knock life in Cub Run. Um, <laughs> And so I, my, my goal is to get a ribbon, first place, preferably blue, you know, and, and, and to win this ribbon. And so I know i got two chances. It's not going to be in the basketball shoot. It's not going to be in the sprint because um, my second grade teacher said, sure, Doug, you look a little healthy this year. I put on some pounds. Um, <laughs> what, no sprints, no sack races for me. But, 
But I had two shots, I thought. One of them was in the big wheel race. I had a He-Man big wheel. I was quite adept at it. Um, but alas, I did not even place first, second, or third. Um, but so I, I, my hopes rest in the crab walk. Now I'm quite a crab walker as well. Um, and so I knew this was going to be my chance. I'm going to win a blue ribbon. First place, I'm going to be the best at something. We do the crab walk. And again, there are 12 dudes in this class, right? And, and surely I can win one thing. I did not. The red ribbon of third place was mine. And I was sad, right? Because all my friends were, they were really good at stuff. And I'm like a, I mean, if you could literally be like a solid four and a half at everything, that's about where I was, right? Maybe a five. Um, no, no, no highs and lows, just real middle of the ground on all the things. So I didn't feel, I didn't feel real special. Um, I didn't feel like I was unique. Um, I didn't, like, what, what am I here to offer? You might need somebody real average. That was my grades, too. They were real average. Um, just, to, just across the board. And, and so when I got saved um, in high school, my senior year, um, I had no, um, no biblical knowledge. I never went to church. Um, and so my senior year, I get saved. And, and we, uh, I go to Sunday school. It was like the third week of Sunday school that I had gone to. And the, guy, and the guy's like, hey, are you familiar with the story of Jonah and the whale? Everybody knows this story. They'd start telling, and I'm like, time out. There's a story where a fish eats a dude. That happened. Like, and I'm, I'm completely baffled. I have no idea. So you've got to imagine. I, most, who heard that story when they were a kid? And so by the time you're 17, it's just like, yeah, it's a story. It happened. In the, when you're 17 and you hear it for the first time, you're like, Shahu, Right? <laughs> Say, what? And so I start, I start to read my Bible because that's what you're supposed to do, I guess, when you become a Christian. And and I start plowing through it, and I get through all the books, and I get to my favorite. I find this book in the Bible, and I find this story, and I'm, I want to read you today my favorite story in the entire Bible. Um, and I, people are like, Doug, you're not allowed to have a favorite story unless it's Jesus and the cross. has to be your favorite, right? But no, that's the most important story. Yes, it's the, but my favorite, we're going to read today, is in Judges uh, chapter 12. Or Judges chapter 3, verse 12. And it's the story of Ehud. Now, I'm going to give you some background on, on the Judges. Uh, book of Judges is... It's my favorite book in the entire Bible. Um, I, I once had a seminary professor say, you can skip it. It's got nothing of value in it. Now, he didn't mean it that way, but he was saying there was so little you could take from it because the people were so bad. It was just an example of failure. And, and I, it made me really mad because it was already my favorite book of the Bible. Um, and so we're going to read it. So if, if you read Judges, you're going to notice there, there, are some, there are some things that happen. And, and, and here's some backstory. Uh, the Israelites have just lost their leaders. Moses is gone. Joshua has just died. And, and that's kind of the way Judges starts. And what happens is, is, is there's like this cycle that happens. Um, the Israelites, uh, if you read it, you, you'll notice the same phraseology over and over again. Um, in some versions, it says something like, And again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I can relate to that, right? Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So they messed up. So I relate to this immediately. And then something will happen, and, and, and God will turn them over to someone, or something bad will happen. And then eventually, when they've had enough, they will cry out to God. Say, God, please send us a deliverer. God will send them a deliverer. Good things will happen. The land will have prosperity for X number of years, and then it'll go... And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
So this is, reminds me of my life, right? Like I try to do good and I do good and then I do something bad. And then, oh my God, I'm sorry. So this is all very relatable to me. Um, and so here is my favorite one. I want to read this to you. Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. So, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord gives them over to Eglon, king of Moab. He's one of our main players in the story today. You're going to want to take note of him. So, what happens? This is awful. Who wants to have somebody else in charge of you, right? Nobody likes a boss, right, kids? So, no? Okay. Thanks. Verse 14, the people of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Verse 15, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, son of Gera, a Benjaminite, a left-handed man. He's our other notable person in this story. He's my favorite. Anybody left-handed people in here today? Oh, raise them proud! We went to Sonic Sunday the other day with the youth, and there was like 12 people there, and like seven of them were left-handed. That's not the norm. So immediately I read this, and being a left-handed individual, I'm excited. This is something I can relate to, unlike being eaten by a fish, right? So so I'm reading this story, and I'm like, oh, this guy's left-handed. Cool. What else is special about him? No, that's about it, guys. He's a left-handed Benjaminite. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. They're kind of warriors. So this is all that we get from this guy. This is really important because... This is all the information we're going to get about him. He is going to be a judge, and I'm going to, spoiler alert, he's going to save the people, right? And this is all the information we're given about him. No, no elaborate backstory, no, this is his, we get his dad, he's left-handed, what family he's from. And the people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, king of Moab. So he's going to go deliver a tribute to the person who's currently in charge of them. So... Verse 16, and Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. This is like all the fun stuff's happening now, right? So if you were to fight somebody in this age, you'd have a sword, right? And if I have a sword, um, yay long, maybe really long, right? And, and we're going to fight and we're going to ting, 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 all the fun stuff like you see in the movies, right? And after I hit you with my sword two or three times or you block it two or three times or we do whatever, my sword may get dull. This is going to happen with the metals, right? And so swords generally are built at this point to be robust so that if my sword can no longer uh, cleave you, I will, I, will, I will bludgeon you to death with it. It's just a big club, right? And so Ehud does something special here. He's going to build him a very small sword, 18 inches-ish, and he... And he He's going to make both sides real sharp and pointy. I mean, he's like real MacGyvery, Rambo-y stuff right here, right? And he's, and he's going to strap it to his right thigh. This is why it's important that we know he's left-handed. If I draw my sword and I'm left-handed, I draw it from my right hip, right? If I'm right-handed, I draw my sword from my left hip. So he's going to see the king, and, and you've got to imagine that, that, that while it's not, you know, metal detectors, the king has security. They're going to pat people down as they come in. You've got to make sure nobody kills the king, right? There's a lot of people coming in. You've got to imagine, you know, 
They maybe think that the line should go a little faster than the TSA, so they're going to speed the process up a little bit. And they're going to pat people down just on this left thigh because most people are what? Right-handed. And even if you weren't right-handed, you used your right hand for the most part. We went to Africa, um, Casey and I, and, our, and, and the youth group that I was at the time. And, and as we're going, we're kind of getting some introduction to some people and, and, and the religious groups we're going to meet. But, but one thing they noted was, uh, don't touch people with your left hand. I said, why? They're like, it's the evil hand. And I was like, that's cool. Why? And they were like, don't let people touch you with their left hand. And I was like, why? And they're like, well, there's not toilet paper. And I'm like, I don't put two and two together. And they're like, they use their right hand to eat with. You follow? You putting two and two together now? So this is the, the wipey hand. So you don't touch people with it because it's kind of considered an insult. So when you're walking through the village and the little kid comes and grabs you with his left hand, it's cool, right? So this is the evil hand. You don't use it. Even if you were left-handed, you'd probably use your right hand because this is for, you know, scooping dookie. So... That's not my last reference to feces. Uh, sorry. Um, and so he's left-handed and he's using right. So, so, so they're patting people down, but he's got his, 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 his special made dagger, sword, on his right thigh. So he just gets to walk right in, pats me down. I'm left-handed. It's all good. He presents... The tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, I'm just going to quote the Bible here so nobody gets offended. Now, Eglon was a very fat man, right? Eglon's very fat. So we've got we to gotta start, start framing this like a movie, right? You've got your vision. Big, fat Eglon on his throne, right? He's a very fat man. Here's Ehud. We're just going to imagine he's like, I don't know, like this tall, maybe bald, little goatee, left-handed, <laughs> some robes, you know, something strapped to his thighs, sword, and so he presents the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud finished presenting the tribute, he sent the people away who carried it. So his entourage, he says, shoo, shoo, shoo. And he turned himself back at the idols near Gilgah and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence. And all of his attendants went out from his presence. Now, the king is going to send everybody away because as a king, he's not going to let everybody hear his secrets, right? Kings deal in information. Right? That's what's the most important thing. And if you've got information for me, I need to hear it first to determine who else needs to hear it. And if you have a message for me from God, I definitely need to hear it first and determine who else needs to hear it. So he sends everybody away. Now we have Ehud and Eglon. Eglon on his throne with all of his roles, and you know, he's very robust. And then here's Ehud. I have a message for you from God, and he, oh, wait, wait. And Ehud, this is important. I can't skip this part. And Ehud came to him while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. This is going to play into the story in a minute. And he said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt, part to protect your hand, went in after the blade. So we go, right? Now, He's a big boy, so there's a lot of space. 18 inches probably goes, you know. So, and the handle comes in, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly. The fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly. And the dung came out. 
King James Version says, and the dirt came out. I find it to be a little more poetic. So, so Ehud says, God, I have a message from God for you. Eglon arises from his seat as he does. Boom, very, very efficiently. Left hand, right thigh, stab, belly, lose all control of your bowels, right, everywhere. So now we have the fat dead king in his own feces sitting there. It's funny a little bit, okay? You can giggle. (laughs) Ehud went out to the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. Now, like I said, you gotta, you got to kind of picture this like a movie. And, and there's always those two or three guys in the movie that are like the comedic relief. This is, these guys are coming into your story right now. And so the servants, when he had gone, the servants came. And when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, Surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited until they were embarrassed. Now I like to picture these dudes coming up, you know, they're at the door and they... They get real close, and they're like, oh, oh, that's what he's doing in there. That's why he's got the doors locked in his, roof, his, in his cool roof chamber, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait until the point of embarrassment. I don't know. I, I can't speak as to how long it usually takes King Eglon to move his bowels. I mean, I know as a person with, child, with children that, that a bathroom trip for me whether I'm using the bathroom or not, it may take 45 minutes just so I have some peace and quiet with the door locked. You know, <laughs> no, daddy's busy. Come back later. Um, so surely, and they waited to the point of the but when they didn't, but when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened it. And there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped, they delayed, and he passed beyond their idols and escaped to Sahara. He arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of all of Ephraim, and the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. So, so I read this story of Ehud, and all we know about him is he's left-handed. He's a Benjaminite, and he becomes a judge who takes care of Israel, who, who God uses to free his people, and, and who sees over the land for 80 years. Um, and it wasn't long after um, I accepted Christ my senior year that, that I felt the call to ministry. But then I still had the same feelings in my gut. What do I bring to the table? What do I offer? Because again, remember, I'm a solid, I'm a solid four and a half, right, on everything. Um, real average. And, and at this point, I go to college, and I still am doing the things that I found fun when I was like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I'm still reading comic books. I'm still playing video games. I'm, I'm still doing, uh, 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 playing sports at a very poor level. Uh, I'm doing all these things. And, and I'm like, well, 
things that a lot of people, when I finally took a, 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 few, a few youth jobs, they were like, uh, are you going to be an adult at some point? And I'm like, I don't know how to adult, right? Adulting is hard. And, and I don't have any of these, any of these skills. It, if you help move mulch at the playground the other day, you know, I don't, I don't have the things men have. I don't have the tools, right? Uh, Doug, can you hand me the spanner, twisty, locky wrench thing? No, I don't know what that is, right? I'm not an adult. I went, we, went, we went and we moved mulch, and they're like, Doug, you need to bring a sturdy rake. I'm like, I don't have one of those. Why would I have a sturdy rake, right? And so uh, I can move, I can hold things. Yeah, right? Here, Doug, hold this. Okay, I'm qualified for that. But, but, but all the adult things, like, I'm not good at them. And so when I, when I got to, uh, when I got to start working with youth, that was, that was fine and cute, but some of the adults were like, Doug, you need to, you need to grow up a little bit, right? Because, because that's not the way things work. And I was lost. And, and I didn't really know how I fit. Because I saw people who were talented and, 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 and doing cool things and special things and big things. And I was like, where, where, where do I fit into this? God, why did you pick me? Why, did you want, why do you want to use me? More importantly, how? How do you want to use me? And, and I met a pastor. His name is Bill. Um, and I met Bill in, in, in the St. Matthew's Mall playing a little game uh, with superheroes. This is not a lie um, that mostly children play. Uh, but, but we really like superheroes. And this was, I was probably 20, uh, 22. I was married. And, and I meet Bill. And, and Bill and I start to talk. And Bill's a pastor. He's a good dude. He's a little bit older than me. And, and we start hanging out. And Bill and I, we love comic books. And we finally find this comic shop in Louisville, and, and the comic shop had a couple of qualities about it that made it special and unique above other comic book shops. Uh, it, it was clean, um, and, and we liked the people that were there. So that was, it, was, it made it different than most of the other ones we'd been to, and, and, and we met Andy, and Andy was a bigger boy, and, and, and Andy was a nice dude. Andy played card games, and he was good at them, and, and, but Andy didn't go many places because Andy couldn't get out a lot, and when he did, he went to the store, or he went to the shop where he worked, and We'd been there, and we might have been there a year, maybe not, and Andy got cancer, and, and we liked Andy. He was a good dude, um, but Andy went quick, like really fast, um, but, but in the process of this, something happened that kind of opened my eyes. Um, Bill shared the gospel with Andy, and, and Andy, in his situation, could have said, man, I've never had it. I don't, I don't want your religion now. But Andy, Andy's heart was softened, and, and he accepted Jesus. And, and I'll never forget um, when we baptized him. Man, he didn't have but a couple more weeks to go, and he was jaundiced. He was real yellow. And it took about four of us to do it because he was so weak. And, and then Andy was gone. Andy had seven or eight family members there, and three of them got saved the day of his baptism. And, and then it dawned on me, you know, Bill, Bill shared the gospel with Andy because he was in the comic book shop, right? And, and Andy didn't get out much except to go to the comic book shop. And all of a sudden, 
pieces started clicking for me. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. So you're telling me Andy probably doesn't hear the gospel unless Bill likes comic books. Now, just let that sit in for a minute. Unless Bill likes comic books, he probably never meets Andy. And if he never meets Andy, he probably never shares the gospel with him. And it, and it all really, really started to hit me. And I was like, wow, wait, wait. So, so what I like, the, the, the things that I interact with generically on a daily basis, what, I, what my passions are, what I'm into, that can, that can make a difference. And this, this really all came to a head. Um, I, I'm not going to cry this service. I cried last service because I'm, I sobbed like a 12-year-old girl at stuff. But um, my old youth group came to my house last night. And, and a bunch of them showed up and, and hung out because they missed us. Um, we brainwashed them. Um, but no, we didn't. We didn't. They'll never know. Um, so they came and hung out, and, and one of the kids was there, and, and, and he's real special to me because he lived behind the church. And he's a real smart kid, like real smart. So smart he could be lazy in school and get away with it. So smart he could do stupid stuff and, and, and talk his way out of it, right? Smart kid. Um, he had a tough life. He had a rough home. Um, his dad was gone. Uh, he lived with his mom and his brother and his sister, and, you know, they got by. But, but he lived behind the church, and I lived across the street from the church in the parsonage. And he had trampoline. I love trampolines. I love trampolines um, because I can't jump, and it makes me feel like I can fly. And he has done, he did the one thing that always makes me super excited about trampoline. He had pushed a basketball goal up beside it. Right, so now I got trampoline basketball. I'm like Michael Jordan for at least 20 seconds in the air. It feels like you know you're flying, like ah oh, yeah. Um, and and every now and then he'd come over to my house and we play video games. Cause I mean I lived just like literally a stone's throw away. But sometimes after church, I'd go to his house and we'd jump on the trampoline. Mind you, I'm 29 at this point, right? Um, and and some of the elders in the church didn't take to it real well. They thought it was unbecoming. Um, they thought it was a little weird, honestly. That was probably the best word they would have used. Um, and, but I didn't care because it was fun. And then one day, uh, he and I are on the trampoline, and, and this little school system had gone through a, like, two or three kids had died in a year. It was really weird. And uh, a kid had just, another kid had just had a car wreck. And... We jumped on the trampoline, and, and when we got done, we're just laying there. I don't know if you've, if you've never jumped on a trampoline. After about 10 minutes, you're ready to, like, pass out, or at least I am. So I'm, we're laying there talking, and, and we really, I mean, he'd been coming to youth and stuff, but I really told him about Jesus that day. I was like, hey, man, you know, this, all this stuff that's going on, kind of laid it all out. Nothing eloquent, nothing special. Just told him he really needed to consider um, Eternity and who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for him. And we kind of left that night and it was kind of over. And the next day, nothing had happened. The next day, he texts me and says, Hey, man, laying in my bed last night, I asked Jesus in my heart. And I realized here I was. And I had an opportunity to share the gospel at a unique moment, at a unique time with a certain person because I like to jump on trampolines. 
and because I played video games with him. Right? And, and while other people thought it was undignified, right? This is something that you shouldn't probably be doing because you're, 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 a, you're a staff member here. This is a little unbecoming. And then it dawned on me that it, doesn't, it does not matter. God has created us special. He has created you unique. He has given you passions and drives that are uniquely yours. Way more unique. If he were to write your story in the Bible, he would probably put more interesting things in there about you than just you are left-handed and who your dad was. Right? He would say... Here is Casey. She is smart and she loves math and she tolerates Doug. She has this superhuman power, right? He would say these things. The question is, do you know that? Do, do you know you are special? Do you know you are unique? Do you know that God wants to take you and those passions you have and he wants to impact the world for himself with them? Like, I don't think you do, because I don't always. I get timid, I get embarrassed, I get shy. Sometimes I still think I'm a solid four and a half all the way across, right? Like, what do I bring to the table? Because some people will joke and they'll be like, but Doug, you stand up and talk in front of people. And I say, I have three friends that are 74 times better at it than I am, right? You can always find somebody who's better than you at something, Right? I can, I can give you five guys' phone numbers right out of my pocket that can do this. It's nothing. But God has created you and he's put you in a special place around special people so that you can impact his kingdom. It might be your job. It might be where you hang out. It might be where you get your motorcycle fixed. I don't know. But he's put you somewhere. I like, I like comic books. I go to comic book conventions. I'm a nerd. You know, before it was cool to be a nerd, I was a nerd, Right? And, and, but that's me. That's where I've been put. How am I going to use it? What am I going to do? What are you going to do? Who are the people that are sitting on a trampoline somewhere that are never going to know Jesus if you don't tell them? What does that look like to you? Is it your sports team? Is it your teammates? Is it the kids you coach? Is it your coworkers? Is it the people you crochet with? Is it the people that cut your letters out so you can make your scrapbooks and your mess that you make when you do that? Is it, is it those people? Because they're hurting. They have needs. They have wants. God has created you to help. To show his light in a dark, hurting world. So the band's going to come. And I have these questions for you. As, as, as you come, if you want to come to the altar, if you want to stand, it's, it's whatever you want to do. But I want you to think about this. How am I unique? How am I special? Maybe you don't know. Maybe you say, God, I'm here to tell you you are. There, there's no, like, am I special? Am I unique? Am I gifted? Right? You are. So maybe you don't know. You should say, God, I don't know. What, show me. Please. Teach me. But maybe, maybe you do know, right, where you are in that. And maybe the question you need to ask now is, is God, who, who, 
who do I need to impact with this uniqueness you've given me? Who are, who are my people? Who are the kids on a trampoline? Who's the guy in a comic book shop? Who are these people that I need to talk to, that I, that I need to impact for you? Maybe you need to ask that question. Maybe you don't know who Jesus is. I'd love to talk to you about him. He's great. And then he'll help you find how unique you are. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you now. Thank you for today. Thank you for the great blessings of life. God, I thank you that you can take a solid four and a half and do something special with it. Not because of me, but because you. You are great. You are mighty. You are awesome. And God, you made us special and unique. And a lot of times we like to feel bad about how we are unique or how we are different or what we like. God, but we know you've given us these passions, God, to be a driving force to influence the world for you. God, we are, we are Ehud in many ways. We, 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 we're, we can seem unremarkable, but God, we know that with you and only because of you, we can accomplish great and mighty things in your name. Oh, Lord, we love you so much. Thank you so much for Jesus, for his act on the cross, for his raising again, God, and for the eternal life we have because of that truth. Lord, thank you. We love you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.